Remember how last week we said we were going to do the thing? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't do the, that. The week just got away from us. Yeah, that's what happens. You know, you you get on, you know, Monday rolls around, you're like, oh man, you know, Mondays are probably my favorite day of the week. Really? Yeah. And uh, why? I, I just, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's a, there's a big opportunity. You know, you have the whole week ahead of you to, to do stuff and get stuff done. And then this week for me, just completely shit the bed. So yeah. Anyways, no track. <laughs> Sue us. Sorry. Yeah. What's up, Zach? Hey man. How was your week? How are you doing? Uh, man, I, I, I had a great week. Kind of. It was okay. <laughs> it was, it was, it was kind of bad. No, <laughs> It was uh it was good. Uh my family is out of town. Yeah. That that's not what made it good. <laughs> but um but I've been able to get a lot of stuff done and yesterday was my birthday. So happy you know. belated birthday. Thank I'm you. I'm and, working uh, on a gift for you by the way. Oh, are you? Well, I, when <laughs> I say working the, on it, I'm not like building it with my hands. I'm trying to find something, but yeah. Is it the the intro to the podcast? <laughs> no, it's not. It will not be that. Um, is it the Tube Screamer video? Uh, it might be that, but no, not that either, because I can't film anything today. Once we're done okay. with this, I have to take all of my camera stuff out of here and put it in the next room and get it ready for the show tomorrow, so I, I'm not filming right. anything today. Yeah. Well, by the way, episode seven... Oh, yeah. The Dipped in Tone podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, here we are. <laughs> but um, I, I did get some amazing presents yesterday. Um, I bought one for myself that if you follow me on Instagram, you saw it. So I got myself an OG Tim. Yeah. It's, uh, it's perf board inside, so it's, um, it's very handmade. Yeah. But if if you've never played a Tim and you've only played a Timmy, the Tim really is the big brother. It is pretty incredible. It has a boost that has its own um effects loop. Yep. So I'm gonna focus there. But whenever you engage the boost, it'll engage the effects loop. So you could put a delay or flanger or whatever and um ha- have it only activate when you when you hit the boost. So I feel like effects loops on pedals are one of the most underrated things ever. It's super cool. Super cool, especially on a delay. Like if you, um, what are some delays that have effects loops? I know Strymon, I think, does one. Um, Probably, yeah, like a Source Audio, does it have one? I think so. I oh, no, the, the Ventress doesn't, or Nemesis Man, doesn't I have don't one. Know. But anyway, where you can, you can patch in like another pedal in the loop of that pedal. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Panther Cub, not the V2 though, Matt. Oh, we should acknowledge uh, our Discord chat. What's up, everyone? Hey everybody! <laughs> we got a nice crew here today. Look at this. Yeah, nice. thirteen people. Wow! Look at us. That's not bad, huh? <laughs> I. Uh, Do you ever watch that I, Hot Ones show uh, with with uh, uh, Paul Rudd? Uh, no, I've I've seen. <laughs> so of of that episode, I've only seen a video where someone made it look like he was interviewing himself. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that, <laughs> but but I haven't seen the actual episode because. That was so good. How could it possibly be any better? <laughs> Matt, Matt in the chat just dropped it. That's my favorite yeah, part hey, of that. Look at us. Hey, hey, look at us. Who'd have thought? Look huh? at us. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> but uh, 
I also got some really cool stuff from Grant and Karen at Big Ear. So he hooked me up with his Albi. Have you seen this? No. What is that? So the Albi is, it's a curated multi-effect, right? So it has eight different different uh patches yeah that the only thing you can change is how much of the effect there is there's a blend control wow and like every different patch is like a different combination of effects and then if you you can hold down the foot switch to engage another mode called the kneel mode and so essentially you have 16 different sounds on here but it's like combinations of choruses and reverbs and delays and compression and all sorts of stuff it's pretty wicked but they also gave me this which was a a commission from my friend brian at mass street music they hand karen hand painted me a mini fuzz this is a betty white fuzz with a ghostbuster logo shut up and it's super cool so i'm excited to to add that to the collection it's so neat that's amazing dude yeah that's amazing (laughs) Hand-painted but, uh, pedals, man. Uh, so cool. Yeah. So cool. You know? I I really like... Um, remember the Boiling Point? Do you remember those? Yes. Oh, yeah, man. I do. Such a uh, good-looking pedal. The friend of mine early on when I was playing a lot of church gigs had a an early Z-Vex, um, the Super Hard On Boost. Oh, yeah. Hand-painted one. Yeah. So cool, man. I always kept yeah. trying to buy it off of him and he never would sell it to me. And I don't know what happened to it, but there it's a funny thing because they, you know, you do kind of have to baby them because they will chip and yeah, uh, they're a little more fragile, but yeah. But yeah. Super well, neat. That now seals it. I'm not getting you a pedal for your birthday. <laughs> That's fine. So back on the Tim, mm. because I've never played a Tim, but I've owned a Timmy for years and years. The Timmy is one of my favorite pedals of all time. It's a desert Island pedal for me. What, specifically is the difference between the tim and the timmy so the tim uh it has the same basic controls on the face and they're wired like the bass and the treble are the cut so they're wired backwards so that's the same but it the boost i think is actually with the boost on it's uh, a timmy it's like the full amount of gain and when you turn the boost off it actually drops the available gain in here so got it it's kind of it kind of works uh in an interesting way because it does have quite a bit of gain on tap with just the standard overdrive you know just just the normal pedal engage without the boost but then you actually have on the back you have a tone control for the boost and then a, a drive control for the boost that you can actually push and pull to engage different clipping modes Nice. So it's just a little bit more flexible. Sonically, they're pretty similar. You know, like if you closed your eyes, you might not be able to tell the difference. But just the amount of features and flexibility this has is pretty, pretty phenomenal. I I love it. Nice. Yeah. I have to check one of those out. They're not made anymore, right? Or are they? No, no. Paul uh, Cochran. He's he lives in Murfreesboro, just down the road from from me, and he is working on the latest revision because he just released the timmy v3 which have you played that one no i've only ever played mine (laughs) right so (laughs) you have a seafoam one that i got from uh it's a v2 seafoam from humbucker music right 
So the V3 is a little bit different, but he's working on a, a new version of the Tim that's in like a normal height box because the Tim is in a huge, real tall, very yeah. tall. Yeah, but I kind of yeah. like that though. I do too. I love big pedals. <laughs> I do too. And speaking of big pedals, oh, hold on. I should have grabbed this before the show started. Now, listen, everyone. <clears throat> Remember last week when we were talking about, like, oh man, the expensive pedals and the $900 reverb, and God, I can't believe someone would spend that much. You should know we're all we're hypocrites. Zach and I <laughs> yeah. are yes. total hypocrites. Mm-hmm. So you should take our words with a grain of salt because, you know, whatever. This week I bought, well, I actually bought it last week and it showed up this week. Um, basically, my dream Univibe. This is the Sir Henry from Tinsley Audio. Neat. Uh, this is made by a guy named Dustin out in Austin, Texas. Dustin in Austin. <laughs> so I did I did some asking around. Um I've been on the hunt for a good, like, real deal Univibe. Um, and my friend Eric Zapata from uh, from Gary Clark Jr.'s band is a bit of an expert on these things. And he said this is the one to get. So um, as far as I know, well, I've played the Univibe in, like, the, uh, the Mobius, Univibe in the HX effects, all that kind of stuff. They're good, but they don't they don't really do the thing for me, which is like the Robin Trower band right. of gypsies vibe thing. Right. Um, yeah. And so for years I've been wanting one and wanting one and putting it off. But I finally decided to bite the bullet and get one because this week, tomorrow, um, well, when you <laughs> hear this podcast, it would have been Saturday. We're having our next backstage live show, which is uh, we're doing an all Hendrix set. And so I figured, yeah. okay, you know what? I got to do it. So reached out to Dustin. I did get an artist price on it. So full yeah. disclosure there. Didn't pay the full 500 bucks, but close to it. Um, it's it's badass, man. Yeah. It's, it sounds really, really good. There, um, there's something to an actual Univibe made with a, a real like incandescent light bulb with yeah. the full size like transistors and everything in there that there's a depth in a character that I've you don't find in any digital replication. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. It's it's like a more three dimensional sound. Yeah. Right. Uh now I've gotten some yeah, I posted a video on my Instagram about it. Uh and and I got some comments that were along the lines of like, I just don't understand why you would buy that and when stuff like the Mobius is out. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Um completely understandable if you're only going to use univibe like every now and then you don't need to go out and spend 500 bucks on like the big heavy big boy but for me i'm a massive hendrix fan i love this sound this is something that i want to incorporate and even more modern guys uh doyle bram hall the second's a big univibe guy um you know all the robin trower stuff i love all that kind of stuff and i wanted to be able to work it into my rig so to me it was worth the money um, yeah. and Dustin is cool. I talked to him a little bit. He I believe he guitar text for Eric Johnson is like his day gig. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, sure. <laughs> and he, he sources these, these components from Japan. He, um, he, he gets the bulbs and everything. There's like a specific bulb that he gets from Japan mm-hmm. and, and brings them over. It's like a whole, it's very cork sniffery. Okay. Listen, that's why I was saying we're hypocrites. <laughs> Don't listen to me. <laughs> 
Um, it's 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 as cork sniffery as you can get, but right, whatever. Man, I, I I'm still on the search for a vibe. Mario in the chat just mentioned that, and that's very much true because I I when full tone ran his mouth last. Yep. Yep. I I sold my Deja Vibe because I had a Deja Vibe Mini, which was it's pretty good. You know, it's all right. right. But right. I don't think you ever saw it. I had an original Deja Vibe that was like the 67th one he ever made in like 94. And wow. it was in one of the huge metal boxes, not the bent. It was just in a like a Hammond box like like this. Mm-hmm. Um Carter had it. They didn't know what it was because it was literally labeled with like Dymo labels, right? Yeah. I bought it for a hundred dollars. And no joke, that the original Deja Vibe is a one-to-one replica, same exact circuit board as an original Univibe. Like I opened it up and I was like, what? Because I thought he had taken like a shinny board and put it in this box because it looked that close. Yeah. Right. It sounded stupid. And <laughs> a week later, I was like, eh, I bet I can make some money on this. So I sold it for $1,000 oh. <laughs> on Reverb. So I made 900 bucks. But yeah, but, it, but I'm glad I don't have it because I feel like now I wouldn't have been able right. to get that. But I'm still yeah, trying to find that, the one. In that, right. And in that particular instance, I think you did good. Yeah. I, in general, I'm I'm... I'm not anti-flipping gear. Oh, and I do have a follow-up question to this. Well, not follow-up, but I have another question for you when it comes to buying gear. Okay. okay? I'm going to show you in a second. But, um, yeah, I feel like there needs to be a grace period when you buy a new piece of gear, right? So for me, with this Vibe, for example, I just bought it. Uh, I'm really, really stoked on it right now, especially with the show coming up tomorrow. I'm really happy with it. But there needs to be, in my opinion, a grace period where maybe it's a month, maybe it's six weeks. You decide, right? Uh, where you say you're going to live with it and then come back and revisit, okay, am I happy with this purchase? Do I think I made the right choice? Do I need to keep this thing or not? Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> I very much adhere to the Marie Kondo method of collecting stuff. Uh, what is that? So she has a Netflix show about cleaning up your messy house. But what she says is you you take something and you hold it and you think, does this bring me joy? <laughs> she's, Jap- oh. she's Japanese. And is that the spark joy thing? Yes. And if it doesn't, okay. then you get rid of it. And I oh boy. I, I think that's I think that's a, a good way to live. <laughs> You know, because there's some things in this world that don't spark joy, but then like, you know, this little uh, snow speeder model, I love it and it makes me very happy. So I'm not going to get rid of it. So that, you know, just 10 of 10 would, would spark joy. Come on, man. Look at that. (laughs) I painted that myself. Did you really? Yeah. Man. All right. How good. So shadows of the empire. (laughs) How good was that first level? Right when you're running through, uh, the the base, the rebel base at Hoth, mm-hmm. and the base is collapsing around you, and you run in, you start the the level running in right as the Falcons like peeling out of the hangar, yes, and like everybody's shooting you to man, what a game! I'm looking at Dash Rindar, by the way, that you sent <laughs> me up back last there. year. 
Uh, every every dude, he's right behind my camera. So every time I'm filming a video, I got dashed. Just you know, you're dreaming about wearing that jetpack, fighting Boba Fett. <laughs> I, uh, I I'm not into cosplay, but if I was, I think Dash Rendar would be my. Oh man, go-to. you would be a perfect Dash Rendar. We have to. <laughs> I feel like I could because I got the beard. Yeah, I've got the beard. It's a little red, you know. I feel like mm-hmm. I could do Dash Rendar. All right, now that we've lost half the audience, let's get back <laughs> to guitar stuff. All right, so question sure. for, for you and for the chat, everyone. We got the chat pulled up here. My friend Dave Honorado, Dojo Guitar Repair, yeah. texts me. Dave is like my um, my my guitar sensei, if you will. Yoda? He's the guy that if I'm... Yeah, exactly. If I'm thinking about buying a piece of gear, like a significant investment, I always run it by Dave first. And nine times out of ten, he tells me, no, don't buy that. It's too expensive. No, no. I'll get, I'll find you one. If you want one of those, I'll find you one better, blah, blah, blah. He texted me yesterday, and he said, dude, you need to buy this amp. It's a 1960 um, Gibson GA5, and it looks minty fresh. Oh, nice. Original tubes. It's got a Bugle Boy in it. Uh, original speaker, original transformers. Um, let me get to the gut shots here. So, gut shots. I don't know how well you can see that on the camera. It's a little small, but, but it looks nice. <laughs> it's had a it's had a three prong cord. Oh. in there, put in. Um, and it's I think it's had a cap job. To be expected. But the original tubes. That bugle boy is in there. Um. Original Gibson EL something, not 84, but EL82, I think. Look at that transformer. Wow. 750 bucks. Oh, buy that. Yeah? Yeah, 750 bucks, 1 million percent, yeah, buy that. He, he said less than 125 made in 60, only made two years in this configuration. Power caps have been done and new three-prong power cord installed. You're done, like... I mean, honestly, the only consideration you have to make when you're buying an amp that old, I mean, if it, 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 since it's had a cap job and stuff, that helps. But those amps were made to run at 110 volts. Right. So, you know, I, I feel like a good investment for you anyway would be to get a brown box, one of those uh, power yeah. attenuator things. Um, yeah. Just to, to run it at the optimal voltage, which is usually like 110 to 115. But, yeah. dude, that, that clean... You're not going to mess it up. It's just going to appreciate in value. Like, no okay. brainer. I would buy it. I would buy so it. So then should I sell my Skylark? Why? No. The GA5T, the 64. It's not eating. <laughs> okay. It's right. not eating anything. Okay. Just like, you no. know, just, ca- just sitting it's there. small. Like, and it weighs, it, it doesn't weigh anything. Like, it, I don't know. No. It weighs nothing. Yeah, just keep it. <laughs> to- Matt says that's a dumb question. Just go for it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, <laughs> There, certain things I get hung up on spending money on, like a guitar, like it kind of, it takes up a lot of room. A guitar in a case, you know, like you have to find room for that. But a small amp that you can just like stack on top of another amp or put in a corner, like just get it and have fun. And that something like that is like if you're not using it, it's decoration for a room. You know, it is. Yeah, it is. It is true. And the way I can justify this. I'll make a video about it. <laughs> That's it. It's a tax write-off. I'll make a video for the channel about it, and it's a tax write-off. 
Um, the chat is 100% in to buying it. They should so, buy it for you. There you go. As an early Christmas gift. <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Um, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to I'm gonna do it. I'm going to buy it. And then I'll report back next week on, on how it sounds. I'm sure it sounds good. I'm sure it sounds really good. What if we... Okay, here's an idea. Okay. What if I bought it? And then you and I jointly went and petitioned the guys at Gibson. We just like brought it to them. Said, hey, do this. Make this. You see this? This box right here? This do this again. Make this. But today, make it 500 bucks and make it sound like this. Man, I don't... $500, I feel like they totally could. 900 bucks. No, a thousand bucks, if whatever. It, for a five watt amp like that, you could totally do that. It'd need to be circuit board uh, for a production standpoint, but um, that is 100% what they should do. That's what they need to. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but if they dove back into those classic circuits and just made them reliable and, you know, serviceable, they, they would yep. sell them hand over fist because. And those low wattage amps, man, they're they're so good for all you players at home, especially if you're trying to get into recording. A five watt amp, a ten watt amp, under a microphone sounds huge, yeah. and in a mix sounds huge. They're they're also surprisingly loud, like in a mm. especially because so many people think, oh, a five watt amp in my apartment, that's doable. I can crank that. You can't. Um, they right. they really will rip. And you can piss off your neighbors really quick with a five watt. I my old apartment amp was a Pro Junior, and it's fifteen watts, and it was loud. You know, like yeah. Uh, so, but you're you're absolutely oh, right. Yeah. In front of a, you know, because like those speakers are small, and you put a microphone, it's getting so much information. They just sound amazing. Well, and because the speakers are small, you're able to actually push the speaker to yeah. its limit, and that's a big part of you know when when you're you're talking about like a cranked guitar tone a big part of that is the speaker oh. and how the speaker is reacting to whether you're underpowering the speaker that has a that has an effect or whether you're pushing the speaker right to its sweet spot and you start to get you know the speaker break up um or or cone cry it was interesting when i was making my impulse responses i've never like actually heard do you know how irs are made uh no it's fascinating. It's a huge pain in the ass. I'll be honest. <laughs> you have to have like a solid state power amp. You have to have you have to patch a bunch of stuff in. But essentially, you do a filter, a frequency sweep from basically twenty hertz up to twenty k. And the mics on the front, you're using this program that's essentially, you know, uh, I'm no scientist, but it's it taking that filter sweep and it's looking at how the speaker is responding to that filter sweep. And from that response, it can basically um, it can tell how the speaker would respond under, you know, any amplifier. But when you're in the room listening to it, you can hear, depending on the amount of level you're putting through the speaker for the sweep, you can hear the frequencies and the harmonics of when that particular speaker breaks up. And like, that's the first time I ever heard cone cry, like isolated. And, and I knew to listen for it now. Like I've always heard people talk about cone cry and things like that, but I never knew what that was. When I was making IRs, you could hear like it. Certain speakers, it would be 2K, then 4K, then 8K, like up the harmonics, and it would just be this like quick little 
blip of distortion that poked out of the speakers. Yeah. Crazy. I don't it, know why it can, I went on that tangent. It can be cool and musical. It can also be really harsh and unpleasant cone cry. Yeah. But I think yeah. that's usually when a speaker is brand new. Because um, speakers have to break in. They're just like jeans, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they're they're paper. <laughs> yeah. Most of them, you know? You're right. I, they got to break in. I When I, I got a... Um, uh, a uh, Magnetone Varsity, yep. one of the new ones. And it was, you know, it was right out of the box and it sounded cool, but the speaker was just so like stiff. And so for uh, like a week when I was at home uh, or when I would leave home, no one was in the neighboring apartment, I would run ZZ Top's first album just threw an instrument cable into the input of the amp <laughs> and just like shoved it against a pillow so it wouldn't be yeah. loud. And I just cranked it and it just like rattled the speaker until it started to sound good. And it worked. You've, you blessed it with, right. with the Gibbons. <laughs> you blessed sound the amp with better, Gibbons. damn it. A friend of mine, uh, Benjamin Forehand, the way he would do it is take his delay pedal um, and just make a loop of him playing like relatively clean sound on a delay pedal and then stick the amp in a room and let it go for like two days. Yeah. Just do that. And yeah. if you have a cabinet, that's a, if you don't want to like wear out your tubes, another way you can do it is like what you talked about where you're essentially just taking any signal out of iTunes or whatever and, and sticking it through. Yeah. The, um, the guys at Carter had a, a signal generator, like a, just a frequency yep. generator and they would just go and just like leave it. It was it was the most annoying sound when you're trying to like sell an acoustic yeah. guitar to somebody that there's in the repair shop is just this <laughs> sound. <laughs> yeah, you can do that if you have pretty much any DAW. You can generate a frequency, get it out of your through your interface, go out into your um, amplifier. You have to be careful with impedances and things like that um, if you're going direct into a cabinet. You know. Anyways, yeah. speaking of. ZZ Top, yeah, you played on your birthday. Why don't you? What What did you do yesterday? So, uh, well, I got up and I had a bagel. No, I okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yesterday evening, I went to Carter Vintage and tried to make a video of the 1950 broadcaster that Billy Gibbons used to record "Jesus Just Left Chicago." Uh, I so say, cool. I say tried because. While the guitar sounded good and looked great, it had no frets, like, at all. It was almost impossible to bend a string on it, um, <laughs> which was very disappointing for me because <laughs> I I practiced that song for hours because I was like, I'm going to get this right, and I, could, I couldn't play it. I physically could not play the solo. Um, like, all the intro and the, and the rhythm part, I could play, yeah. But the solo couldn't do it. But I brought my peso pick, which that's the that's the legend, right? <laughs> yeah. And we had it going into a a, a mid fifties tweed deluxe on about okay. eight, with the tone at around noon, and like I was playing it and using just a normal you know nylon pick, and then I got the peso out, and I shit you not, it sounded exactly like that little chord part that floats in the background of the verses exactly it was dead on so 
I, I think he used Dude. a peso on that song, but it was a really cool guitar. It was honestly one of the best feeling Telecaster necks, or it was a Broadcaster uh, neck I've ever played. Uh, just, you know, that style of guitar neck I've ever played. Um, but what's crazy is they, they didn't make very many of those guitars. You know, they're right. incredibly rare. And yeah, the Broadcasters, the for people broadcaster. who don't know. So, you know, the Broadcaster predates the Telecaster. It also predates the Nocaster. Yeah. Um, so if if you're not familiar with early Fender guitar lore, um, they start off and the first solid body electric that was mass produced by Fender was what we now know as the Telecaster. So picture Telecaster, but it was originally yeah. called the Broadcaster. And then they got sued or they were nicely asked yeah. <laughs> by Gretsch uh, to stop using that name because Gretsch had a drum kit and still do have a Broadcaster drum kit. They do. So... Then we went into the era of the no caster, which, because Leo Fender was a uh, a cheapskate, a frugal, yeah, <laughs> he was a frugal individual. Rather than having a bunch of new headstock labels, uh, decals or decals, if you're in um, the part of the world that drives on the wrong side of the road, <laughs> instead of having new decals made, they just clipped the broadcaster part off with scissors, and so all you had on the, the headstock was Fender. Um, which I think is super cool. Yeah. I love the no caster thing. And then they came up with the telecaster because if you think about it, early fifties, what was huge at the time, television, everyone was freaking out about televisions in your home. So they named it the telecaster. So broadcasters, you're right. Are like, I've never played one. The only ones I've seen are at, um, songbirds, uh, songbirds, rest in peace. Yeah, man. So I'd never seen a broadcaster before either. Like, you know, at the shop, no casters I'd seen. Um, but I asked Walter, you know, I was like, how much would this guitar be if it wasn't Billy's in this condition? Cause it was, I mean, it was played, but it was in great shape apart from the frets. Yeah. And he said around a hundred thousand dollars. I was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, because they said they'd had some that were beat and modded and they were like $50,000. So man, uh. <laughs> Uh, I was watching, speaking of other Zachs on the internet, uh -huh. um, Ask Zach. Do you watch his channel at all? I don't, but I've met him. Zach Childs from True Tone, used to be Visual Sound, right? Yeah. yeah. Super cool channel. If you haven't checked out his YouTube channel, you should. Really cool guy. Knows a lot about guitar. Great player. Um, and he did a video, I think last week, that I was checking out where he was talking about the vintage thing and how it's become sort of unobtainable for... I mean, most people. Mm -hmm. We and that was the video we did at Songbirds, yeah. a couple of months ago, right before they closed. You know, why are these guitars worth a million dollars a piece? You know, it, it's an interesting conversation. It, objectively, they are worth that because if someone's willing to pay, if somebody walks into Carter and pays one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars for that broadcaster, it's objectively worth one hundred thirty-five grand. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, John Roncolato at Carter at the guitar photographer, give him a follow. He and I were talking after we, you know, tried to make this video. It may go up, we'll see. But, you know, he said, I I get why this is worth so much but from a collector, you know, collector standpoint. But, like, I understand dropping the money on a vintage acoustic. There is something there. But with all the people mm. making such great electric guitars now, from a sound, from a playability standpoint, is it even something that you should consider? 
Right. You know, like my Novo plays better than any other electric guitar I've ever played. And mm-hmm. it sounds as good as anything I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that guitar full whack is what, like $3,200, $3,500? Right. Right. And it sounds, no joke, as good as any vintage SG burst, anything with humbuckers. So, yeah. You know, I think that's kind of an interesting idea that we don't, unless you just want it to have it, you don't really need it. But I do think vintage acoustics, there's something there that is is not easily replicated in, in the modern. 100% on the acoustic thing. Yeah, like um, the only pre-war Martin I've ever played was with you at Carter. And and you, I remember you saying that one wasn't even particularly a good one. No. But it did something different than any other acoustic I've ever played. Yeah. Um, the electric thing is interesting. There's a there's an element to this discussion that I think gets left out a lot, which is the the part of how an instrument or how an effect or how an amp or anything how it makes you play. Because we all know that thing of like when you pick up a different guitar different scale length, different pickup, different body shape, different weight. You play slightly differently. You you play to that guitar. And I do think in my experiences of playing vintage guitars, there is something different. It's 100% mental, right? Because you yeah. know in your mind like, "Oh man, this is from 1952 and this guitar has been been played for 60 plus years, almost 70 years." the stories and there's all that stuff going through your head. And it, in my experience makes you play a little bit differently. It might make you play worse because you're afraid of it, or it might make you play better because of the, the history and the lore and the, the fact that you're telling yourself the story of, man, I wonder who played this in 1964 or whatever. I think that's a big thing with like the bursts, you know, there, stuff that has a lot of uh, hype around it a lot of you know you everyone you know on youtube who gets to play a burst makes a video about it you know right. there's a the people always talk about oh i play here in the discord last week somebody was talking about man i played a burst today and people were like oh what well, how was it oh my god it's like this mystique i yeah. think that makes you play differently so yeah. you're right from an objective sound standpoint with solid body electric guitars specifically i think stuff that's being made today can sound as good as the old vintage stuff why do people want to buy the old stuff i think it has to do with the collectability the story behind them and the fact that playing something old i think makes you play differently yeah nostalgia is a big part of it too because you know that's something i've seen in the guitar world you know in my short time being in Nashville is like how there's been a shift from, because when I first started playing guitar, you could get any seventies Fender or Gibson for pretty cheap. And yeah. now the people that kind of grew up and that was the guitar that they learned on, or like, you know, maybe their dad had or whatever. Um, th- those guitars are starting to really rise in value. And it, it does. The market is so weird on how it like, nostalgia plays into all of it too because objectively those guitars on the whole are not very good yeah but the prices have skyrocketed and you know people are going crazy for 70s fenders and gibsons which you know there are some good ones but it's pretty rare in my opinion yeah yeah Uh, so i don't know man to each their own 
you know i the i agree with you on the novo thing my novos play as good or better as anything else out there in the vintage where actually they play better than most of the vintage stuff that i've played oh you know i it, it's funny like i get messages and i'm sure you do too all the time like what is the novo thing why should i invest in this and no joke every time i pick that guitar up it just surprises me again and again and again at how good it is. And I I never feel like bored with it, Mm-mm. you know, and, and granted I've only had it for probably close to a year now or so, mm-hmm. but every other guitar, there'll be like moments where I'm like, eh, I, eh. but that yeah. one just every time. So, yeah, you know. that's anyway. how I feel about, about my, uh, my Saris J man. Yeah. This is like every, and it's going to need frets soon, actually. Um, which is saying something because I've only had that guitar since 2017. Right. But, um, yeah, it's like that one in particular, just, it just does the thing that I want it to do. And every time I pick it up, it just feels right. You know, it feels like home. It feels like that's, that's the thing for me. So, yeah, 100%. Uh, speaking of, did you see that, um, Solace that they put on Instagram? <sighs> My God, yes. It Dude. sold in like minutes of being live. It was, so for those that didn't see it, we'll post a picture, but it was a Solus, uh, an M1 with the, the dog ear P90 with a maple cap in a sunburst. Well, and there's more to it, which is they're starting to do these to do these things now. I think it might be one a month or something like that that Dennis builds. So that is a Dennis built Novo. Yeah. Like that's his thing, his brainchild. He built it. He finished it. He, he relicked it. He did the whole thing. I saw that on Instagram and immediately texted Matthew. I was like, what organs do I need to sell to get on this list for a Dennis built Novo? Like, I don't care what it is. I don't care what color it is. I don't care what pickup combination it is. I don't care how much it costs. I want a Dennis built Novo. Right, man, it's I I I feel very humbled in that he did the relicking on mine, and I have a picture of him doing it. Um, but there's something to that man's touch that is hard to put into words when it comes yep. to guitars. So, oh yeah, that I think they are so smart to. I mean, of course he's he wants to do that. He wants to make guitars, but for them to post that kind of thing and let him just go wild, they're going to sell just going to continually sell immediately and it's going to be really great for them. And that's exciting for me. Oh, look at us. We're total, uh, total shills for Novo. We're super fanboys, And you know what? That's fine. You know, dude, the shilling has just begun. (laughs) You you better hold on, man. (laughs) There's a t-shirt or a a temporary tattoo or something. Yeah. Rhett shill. Here we go. (laughs) The shilling has begun. The shilling, there it is. Somebody, uh, Chivalry just oh, just posted man. it in the chat. Look at that, man. So cool. Wow. My God, and the back. Yeah, the back looks almost <sighs> as good as the front. The, the, every time I post a picture of the back of my Novo, people are like, "Post more pictures of backs of guitars." It's like, <laughs> that should be an Instagram. Somebody start an Instagram profile backs of guitars, and all it is is just guitar backs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man yeah the, the pictures keep showing up and it's like man uh shout cool. out to uh to we should plug uh 
right now we're recording and people are live here in the uh, the Discord listening to us. If you want to join in, you can join our uh, Patreon for two dollars a month mm-hmm. and join in the madness. Yes, it's super super fun. <laughs> people are dude. The gifts in here right now are killing me. Um, so we had some questions earlier. Speaking of uh, the Discord chat, somebody yeah. was asking uh, me about the pedal board situation for the live show. And then that led into the budget rig thing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll just start with the, the pedal board situation. So um, I'm actually in the process right now of putting together a new board with Mason from Vertex. We're going to build a board specifically for this live show, which is going to be, um, so the board he built me, God, two years ago now, it's been almost exactly two years, uh, is great, but it was built for touring. So it's like really compact. Yeah. It's, it's as small and tight as it can be. Everything is really crammed in there, um, which is great when you're playing the same set every night and you don't need to swap effects. It's a massive pain in the ass when you're like, oh man, I want to try, I want to throw this overdrive on the board. It literally takes me about 20 minutes just to change a pedal. You have to get that crowbar. I've got to get the crowbar. I've got to get a screwdriver and pull the bridge off. I've got to, in the amount of times that like I've taken the board apart, put the new pedal on under the bridge, put the whole board together, powered it up and forgot to actually like turn the pedal on before I put the bridge together. It's, it just, we didn't design it to be easily swappable. Right. So, um, I want something that is more open and uh is easier to just oh hey this week yeah we're doing the hendrix thing i'm gonna throw the univibe on there i'm gonna throw a couple fuzzes on there patch them together and and be ready to go and vertex has started making um their own pedal boards have you seen those i have and they have all sorts of really clever uh construction that is going to work great for what you're trying to do yeah so they're having a company out i think in la i don't know where they're being made but it's it's like a a sheet metal pedal board that's folded and got the riser and everything on it. It's going to be cool. Yeah. So um, I'm going to do a video on it with Mason because of COVID. I'm not going to go out there and I don't, I'm not going to have him come out here. I'm just going to send him the board right. and all the pedals and yeah, we're going to do it remote. You know, but. just out of my own curiosity, because every backstage live is going to be a little different. Would you ever just put the pedals on the floor? No, because I, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just for like one night. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's a weird thing I have, I guess. Fair enough. It it just, it just bums me out. Okay. Um, And there is some stuff that like is going to be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to use an HX effects as sort of like the main sort of centerpiece of the board. Uh, and use the effects loops on the HX effects and things like that. Mainly the stuff I'll be changing out is like maybe drives and fuzzes, but right. probably going to use HX effects. Um, and I want to try and find a way to patch in my multi-echo, my tape echo. Oh, yeah. Into the board. Well, you can put um, it on a loop and control it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's the thing that Mason does really well. He's really good at coming up with like, interface boxes for pedal boards yes. that will let you do all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> so, yeah. um, 
Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an undertaking. Yeah, that's you know every time I see his boards, I think about what you just said. You know, like the the difficulty of changing a pedal, like because I am so fickle and am changing stuff daily. Whenever I do have a pedal board, um, I couldn't imagine committing to that. But I've never been in a real band, like a real band. So uh, maybe if I had that, I would. I would do it, but, um, well, that's the thing. Like when we designed this board two years ago, that's what I was doing. Right. You know, I, I had a YouTube channel, but when we built that board, I, I had like 10 or 11,000 subscribers. YouTube was still very like a new thing for me. And it was something I was kind of doing not on the side, but like playing and gigging was very much still my thing. Right. And, um, I had a lot of traveling coming up. So basically we, we designed a board that would be compact and reliable. And it has been spare the one time in London oh, yeah. where TSA like ripped it apart. <laughs> I've never had a pedal fail. I've never had a cable fail. I've never had anything go wrong on that board. And I have beat the ever loving shit out of it on the road. Um, and it's been great, yeah. but for what we're doing now, it's, it's not, uh, it's not the ideal sure. setup. So, yeah. well, if anyways, if you had going back to what the comment section was asking, if you had to do a, let's say you had to do a budget rig that was basically a catch-all for backstage live, and you had they they were suggesting a thousand dollars, what would you do? And and there was the prerequisite that you couldn't use a multi-effect, like the Shit. HX okay. HX stomp or or whatever. So no stomp. I I think if we're gonna do it, no stomp. Yeah. But is this, I mean, when we're saying a rig, a thousand dollars, does that mean a guitar, an amp, and pedals? <clears throat> because I think it does. That's a rig. I think it does yeah. too. I mean, that's a rig. So, a th- right. A thousand dollars. So, what, what <laughs> would you do for, if you were going to do the, like, make a, a setup for the backstage live where you had to cover a lot of ground, what would you do? People in the chat are saying no stomp. <laughs> Damn it. All right. I would get, so guitar. I'd start with a Squire Affinity Telecaster. Whoa. <laughs> like a straight up, just telly. That's it. Okay. I do the telly situation because I, I, I know, like, I could make a telly work for me on everything. Right. Um, and how much are those? Like 150 bucks? I don't know. I think they're $150. No, I think... No, 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 no. The affinities are more expensive. Let me, uh, let me see here. Hopefully I don't crash my computer. Here, I can do it. But, Let's just go to... We'll go to Sweetwater. Uh, yeah. Not a sponsor of the show, but... Not yet. <laughs> not yet. I would like... Uh, let's see here. So, Squire... Affinity Telecast. Affinity... All right. God, my poor laptop is just burning right now. Two ninety nine. Oh. I'd I'd get that butterscotch blonde maple fingerboard. Nope. Screw that. I don't like maple fingerboards. <laughs> I'd get the uh the slick silver mm. with laurel fingerboard for two twenty nine. Two twenty nine. Okay. All right. So two twenty nine, two thirty. Then um I'm gonna go JHS three series for the overdrive okay i'm gonna get their three series overdrive that's 99 so what do we so you have now? Six, three, you have 670 left 
670 left. All right. I need I need at least a delay. Okay. Do you need a do you need um, a tap? I would like a tap. Mm, where do you go from here? I don't, what 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 affordable delay has tap? The carbon copy deluxe? I think the carbon copy deluxe. How much is that? Or DD20, Matt Lynn is saying DD20 used on reverb, now, but the DD20 yeah, I don't think getting used Doesn't, is fair. I think like we have to go new. Oh, we have to I go think, new. I think I think okay. right, you know. So right, the fine. carbon copy deluxe um, is two hundred bucks, and that does. It's got the modulation. It's got tap. And it's got subdivision. It does sound really yeah. good. Um, two hundred bucks. That's so cheap. Two hundred bucks. Yeah, but when you only have a thousand dollars for a whole rig, that's that's kind of yeah. You still got to get an amp. <laughs> I got to get an amp. <laughs> Uh, what am I? What do I have left, chat? Six seventy. Uh, Six seventy. Six seventy left. All right. So at, at two hundred bucks on the delay, that only leaves me at four seventy for an amp. Yeah. No. All right, screw it. I'm gonna go. I I'm gonna go. Better. Oh, shit, this is hard. <laughs> what does a Vox AC10 cost? Oh man. Uh. Let's see here. I don't know. They're not that much. Five hundred dollars. Oh okay. man. Okay. Fox AC ten. Okay. So I had six seventy left. Five hundred bucks. I'm at one seventy. That's enough for. Um. We're we're seeing uh, Memory Boy. Ooh yeah, Electroharmonics. Here we go. Well, uh, given the circumstance, I could probably. Just uh, do away with the tap. Oh, 168. Ooh, so there we you, go. So that's it. You have $2 left. That's you it. You get uh, some of those Fender pick condom picks. <laughs> no, you <laughs> yeah, couldn't. The They're $5. Condoms. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't even get those. <laughs> All right. So that let's, let's recap here, and then I want to hear your version <clears throat> okay. of this. Squire Affinity mm-hmm. Telly in silver with the Laurel Wood fretboard. The JHS three series overdrive, the Memory Boy, um, and then the Vox AC10. That's that's uh, that's my that's rig. serviceable. That's a respectable little rig, right? Yeah, there. that that is. So for me, like I would probably omit an overdrive. So I'm trying to think okay. of where I would want most of my money to live in the guitar and the amp. So how much is a, a Fender Pro Junior? Mm. I feel like uh, I think they're like 800 oh, 500 bucks oh never mind Jesus I was way off yeah I, I thought they were more expensive too okay so I'm going to start at the back right so I'm going to get okay a Fender Pro Junior so Great. I have $500 left yep. let's go guitar how much are those those new Gretsch guitars those really Ooh, um, yep. Those are right in like the four to five hundred range. Well, three to five hundred range. Yeah, let's uh let's look at those because one see of those here. smaller ones with like the smaller body things. Uh I think they're called the streamliner. You sort low to high on Sweetwater and it's like ukulele cases, Jim Dandy acoustics. <laughs> <laughs> it's not uh All right. Here you go. Uh, all right, so 
I'm going to recommend this because I actually played one of these um, not too long ago and I should have bought it actually. This is probably one of the best guitar. I'm going to drop it in the chat here. Um, I don't want to take over your, your thing here. Oh, no, Check it's that fine. Out. Yeah, I think... This link will take me somewhere. Okay. Yeah, 449. Okay. So then I'd have 50 bucks. So that would be I think that's kind of what I would want to go with because okay. dude, you're right. Those guitars are phenomenal. Yep. They play super easy and they sound good. So, yep. I would probably get that. So now I have $50 for a pedal board. Uh assuming you know, we had cables and stuff. So let's just assume we have cables. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I would let the amp do all the overdrive. Okay. Because I just push it. Because, like, those things break up really nice. But keep in mind, any time-based effects that you put into the front of the overdriven amp are going to be super gritty. They have, uh, they have mixed controls, right? So I'm just going to search delay pedal and sort <laughs> low to high. And see, see what kind of trouble we can get into. Because I think that's the only thing I would really want. Because I could use that for like faking a reverb or right. The uh, delay, if you're only gonna have one pedal, I feel like the delay is the way to go because you can you can fake a reverb, you can fake a chorus, you can do a lot with a delay pedal. Oh man, okay. The Behringer VD four hundred vintage delay pedal is twenty eight dollars. <laughs> it's vintage. Yeah, so it's got to be good, right? $28. How how do they do that? I'm just I'm I'm going to get that. Okay. I want to have this. It says it's a Bucket Brigade pedal. Uh, what? All right. Yeah, it uses vintage Bucket Brigades to produce 300 milliseconds of delay. Okay. Uh, for 20 for $28. Man, Okay, I need to buy one of those. But you know what's funny is Behringer is actually the company that makes the chips now. Right. So Right. Well, so that's how they that. can do it for $28. Right. So I have $20 left. I, I'm going to take that $20 and get you and I a nice Starbucks beverage, and then we're good to go. We're ready for the gig. Dude, it is PSL season. What, it, what is that? Oh, pumpkin spice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. So then you and I could play, we could play a, a gig together with that those two little rigs because I feel like the Pro Junior and the AC-10 are pretty evenly matched in terms of output. Yeah. And I think tonally they'll fit well together. Um, yeah. I, I think for me, I like running the amp a little cleaner. I feel like that would give me a little bit more, uh, a wider range of tones. Uh, you know, run the amp a little bit cleaner, edge of breakup. I've played one of those AC-10s a lot. Rick has one, and that's... Anytime we do a video together over at his place, that's my go-to amp. Oh, really? A little AC-10. Oh, it sounds so good, man. So really? easy. Yeah, yeah, it's huh. easy. Like, now I'm talking about if we're doing, uh, like, a simple video that's not about amplifiers. You know what right. I mean? Right, yeah. If it's something like, hey, I just need something to plug into, that AC-10 is fantastic. And it, it's a new one. It's not like an yeah. old one. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Yeah, it's a new one. Huh. You know, it's funny. Uh, like, I have a love-hate relationship with some of the Vox reissue amps. Like, mm -hmm. every now and again, you'll play one. You're like, man, that one sounds good. But then you'll play it again, like, at a different shop. <laughs> and you go, ah, 
So wow, that sounds like garbage. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't know they made trash bags into amplifiers. You know, like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So that's a that's a fun little challenge, man. That's hard for a thousand dollars to do a variety of sounds is really limiting. I think you know unless you just I, go mega cheap and get everything like a solid state amp, uh, really cheap yeah, guitar. Yeah. My initial thought was like, oh yeah, Tone Master, but dude, the Tone Master stuff is so expensive. That is the thing that I think Fender screwed up on with that stuff is that those amps should have been six hundred bucks. Because how much are Not, they? Like eight ninety nine or something? Yeah, like nine hundred something. Yeah, you know? I, you know, you're right. If they had made them one or two hundred dollars cheaper, they would have sold them hand over fist. But I think, yeah. you know, it goes back to, uh, like you, if if they did that, then that would cheapen the normal deluxe reverbs. Like I think, it right? Would, people would be like, "Well, why would I spend four hundred right. more dollars?" So, you know, I, right. I do think that Fender and this, gosh, we're, this 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 podcast is just bing zang, we're like whipping <laughs> all over the place. I think Fender should take that technology and and really make just a small kick ass amp that does. Yeah. like two of their classic sounds like in the normal mm-hmm. like have just two channels you plug into mm-hmm. and make like a new amp or something um, yeah and that because well, that would be so smart i i thought the way if i was running fender and designing that amp if i was head of of design for that amp what i would have done differently i would have kept it at that 900 hundred dollar price point mm-hmm. i would not have made it less expensive but what i would have done is given you a usb plug on the back of the amp so that you could load your own impulse responses. Yeah. And you could they could release new like oh hey on on channel 1 the non vibrato channel oh we just came out with a, a new algorithm it's a 59 basement. Sure. Oh hey uh we just came out with the 5E3 Tweed Deluxe like all these different famous deluxe amps from Fender's history. You yeah. could release them as like little, just you could update your deluxe reverb. So it's like, oh, channel one is this and channel one is that. And there you go. Imagine having that amp with an editor, you know, oh, yeah. where you could get in and like adjust, you know, because like to me, there are certain things about the deluxe reverb that I want to modify. And if I had that, you know, accessible on a computer, like, hey, clip the bright cap, no bright cap. It's going to be darker right. when you start. Like, why not? You know, and I think that newest version because they're doing it in like a blonde mm-hmm. sort of thing. They've they've changed some of that. But you're right. If yeah. that if that amp had a USB port where you could, you know, load in a, a tweed sound or a brown face sound or whatever, that it, that would be just a game changer. I mean, it already is like a game changer. I think in what they've accomplished, yep. but it would just take it to the next level and everyone else would be scrambling. Like, what do we do to keep up with that? Cause they would sell them like crazy. Oh yeah. So people in the chat are talking about how we should start a uh, consulting firm. I a hundred percent agree. <laughs> Although oh, I won't, I won't roll out of bed for anything less than $350,000. So. Oh yeah. Me either. <laughs> I, I don't do that just anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get out of bed for $100,000. Remember we're, we're, uh, we're shills. We're shilling for everything. So that's right. How do you, you know, guys think I every, afford all these nice sweaters and hats and you know all this yeah, stuff? Yeah, every word we say is paid for. Obviously, <laughs> come on. Yeah, Sweetwater is listening. 
We're influencers, okay? <laughs> I I finally <laughs> felt like I kind of made it when I set up an Amazon influencer page. I was like, huh, <laughs> I wonder uh. if they'll give this to me. And they immediately did. And I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh. Um, yeah, so I, I think for real, though, it's like, I would like to consult on some stuff like that. Totally. You know? And I, I think it'd be awesome. I think that, you know, one of the the scary things about all these large companies is that while a lot of those people that work there are musicians and guitar players, not everybody is. And mm-hmm. like, if someone's just a decision maker based off, you know, money and, you know, you know like how, do, how can they say like, oh, that's a good product we should work at? Yeah. You know? Right. I don't know. Well, and then there's also the, you know, with those bigger corporations, Fender, Gibson, all them, you know, you're also dealing with the bean counters, you know, and like you come up with the concept, like, okay, I want to do this. I want to do this. And I want to do this. And they're like, well, in order to manufacture, you need to cut this and cut this. We need to cheapen, like, you know, which is why the boutique world exists, right? Because you can kind of get into that stuff with zero compromises. But yeah, I, I feel like, um, Actually, I don't know. Has the Tone Master stuff sold all that well? I'm not sure. I I don't know, really. You know, I know when it first came out, everybody I knew that was a Fender dealer, like all of my stores, because I was asking them about it. They said, "Oh, we actually haven't tried them because as soon as they get where, get here, we ship them. You know, they're sold." Yeah. So mm. I they're definitely pushing it like super hard. You know, literally everyone that I watch on YouTube has either done a video or they've received one or something. So I feel like, you know, they're, they're trying their best to get them out there. So I don't know. Like I assume that they're selling mm-hmm. them. Yeah. But yeah, I I actually really like mine, man. Um, I use it quite a bit like down here to practice with. It's my go-to like, Hey, I, I want to practice and play an amp. I'll just go. Cause you can turn it way down. Right. You know, and it's not, or you can take it DI out. Um, it's great for that kind of stuff. And I was, you know, I, I took some heat for this, but when I, when I, they first reached out to me, I was, I was kind of like, I don't know. And then I got it and was, was actually really into it. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good proof of concept. I really like it. And I think it, it needs to be honed in like any new product or new piece of technology. It needs to be like really dialed in but i like where it's headed yeah i uh you you also took some heat recently on that that pedal show comment that you left (laughs) that the internet was like hey wait a minute (laughs) yeah oh whatever man (laughs) yeah all i said was hey for me just sharing my perspective my my point of view here um i would buy the tone master over the tube deluxe because the way i view a deluxe reverb reissue Okay, not a vintage one, but like a DRRI is it's like a working man's amp. Yeah. It's something you grab and go to a gig. You don't care if a beer gets spilled on it. You don't care if it gets thrown around the back of the trailer. You know, it's something, it's a workhorse amp. And for me, in that situation, the Tone Master does a better job in that situation than the tube version. Ergo, I would buy the Tone Master over the tube version. And people just freaked out over yeah. How, yeah how dare you say what you think a purpose of an amplifier is <laughs> i <laughs> for me i have to be able to get in and 
monkey with stuff. So mm. I don't know if I'd ever buy one um, because I like being able to take it apart and change things. I do think if yeah. they, if the the format and the the technology behind it is super interesting to me, but not so much on that amp. I would love to see them tackle something like a tweed basement or or, yeah. or, or you know, not, not necessarily a deluxe. I feel like that's so simple. It would kind of be moot to put all that tech on a little, you know, four knob amplifier, whatever. Right. But right. Um, I would love the, to see them take like some classic tweed circuits that you could crank. And I think that would, it would cover, it would hit a wider audience because right. the, the, you said right at the very beginning after you played it, the Tone Master sounds, it has all the faults and foibles of the Deluxe. Like when you crank it, mm-hmm. it sounds kind of like that Deluxe reissue for good or bad, but I've never met anyone who played a cranked basement and didn't go, Oh yeah, like that sounds good, you know? Yeah. Right. And and that's the thing too, is like the modern deluxe reverb reissues, they're not that good. Right. Like this, the tone master thing has sparked this whole conversation of the tube versus the non-tube thing, which as guitar players will have, will have that argument in perpetuity for yeah. years and years and years to come. But the thing is like, I've played, dozens and dozens of deluxe reverb reissues on gigs because they're go-to backline amps yeah. and dude they're not like i would never buy a tube deluxe re- reverb reissue for that money go on the used market and get yourself a used dr z like there's so many other companies out there that do the fender deluxe thing way better than the deluxe reverb reissue does and so that was my point was like if you're gonna buy a deluxe reverb reissue buy the non-tube version because of all the reasons I stated. It's way lighter. It has the DI out. It's got power scaling. It does the thing. It does the deluxe reverb thing close enough to the re- the real one. It's like put the tube version in this sort of highlight spotlight. That, frankly, I don't think it deserves. Like I made a video a few years ago comparing the reverb reissue to a real 64 blackface, like super minty blackface and yeah. the 64 mopped the floor with the reissue it was better in every oh. single way than they are not the same not all. the same at all like the tube version to me is very anemic sounding it has a weird mid-range it doesn't break up very well um and it, it just it's farty and flubby and it i'm just not a fan of it and i think if you want that deluxe it, reverb thing for around that same money go on the used market get something from the boutique world you're in a better place at the end of the day you know isn't it funny that literally all they have to do in my opinion to fix this is some some caps some resistors and a different speaker and like because that's what i've done to mine and no joke it sounds yeah yours sounds really good like like it's it's not hard so like that's one thing that that kind of trips me up about all these companies that they, they just like you know dig their feet in the sand that they're not gonna change it but literally they're just replacing one component value with another one and it it makes all the difference in the world. I was thinking when you were talking about a backline thing, and I don't want to I know we're kind of pushing the length of the podcast, but for you, if you had to show up to a gig, what would be of of all the kind of run of the mill amplifiers, what would be your 
preferred amp, AC30. Which you like a hot rod. AC30 I mean, always. AC30. So, what, even like the Chinese, like lower quality. Yeah, ones? well, because that's what every backline pretty much you get is going to be the lower quality Chinese one nowadays. Yeah. With the, the rare exception, like the one that I had in London was actually one of the early '90s Korg era AC30s. Yeah. Which like actually built by Marshall. Those are like some of the best AC30s out there. But they they are totally different, yeah. So I have uh you know with Noah and with Jesse and with other artists and stuff that I used to fill in with, especially during festival season, basically, you know, I would at the beginning of every festival season, all the different artists camps would reach out and say, "Hey, fill us out, give us your your list of preferred gear because festivals almost always are backlined, right? Um especially yeah. when you're like a mid-tier act or a lower tier act where you're playing earlier in the day. They're just concerned with getting you on the stage, playing your set, and getting you the hell off the stage as fast as possible. So um, most of the time, you have three options for an amp, sometimes four. It's a deluxe reverb reissue, a twin reverb reissue, an AC30, one of the modern Chinese ones, or a Hot Rod DeVille. And for me, with the way I play, with the tones that I get... The AC30 is the safest bet. I know how those amps work. I know how to dial them in to where I like it. And I can walk up to pretty much any AC30 and get it within two or three minutes to where I want it. Right. Twin reverbs, the reissues, I hate with the burning passion of a billion suns. <laughs> I can't stand those amps. <laughs> they are, I hate them. They are rough. They're so, they're, they're awful. I'm sorry. They're really bad. Um, deluxes yeah. are good. Deluxe was always my second choice because again, you can, you can get it. But to me, it's all the mid range and the reissues, the, the deluxe reverb reissues, the way it breaks up in the mid range, it's honky and farty and gross and weird. And I don't, I just don't dig it. Well, you would pick, you would pick a deluxe reverb over a hot rod deluxe. Yeah. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I might get some, some flack for this, <clears throat> but I had a buddy. And he and I, he was a little bit older, and we would ride around Nashville looking for guitar deals. This was before I was married, and I had more money than sense, you know. <laughs> and every time we would go to a guitar store, and I would try something, and I would plug into a hot rod, just because it's like, you know, I know what that amp sounds like. It's, they sound, the, the overdrive's horrible, but the clean, it sounds, whatever, it's fine. But every time I'd plug into it, he would like tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, do you want to go play a real amp? <laughs> and... I I never have got that out of my head, but you know that's I feel like for most people that would be their go to because it is probably the most flat platform uh, for a sound, but it's pretty generic. Yeah. So and and again, l like to go back to the deluxe reverb, like the the tube version, you know, it's not it's not a it's a respectable amp. Okay. Yeah. It's like it's like Jack Daniels. Okay. Jack Daniels is respectable <laughs> whiskey. All right. Uh, I'm, I mm -hmm. would I would never turn my nose up at a glass of Jack Daniels on the rocks, right? It's respectable right. whiskey. It's fine. Sure, there's a lot better stuff out there. There's better stuff for the price out there. But hey, you know, any port in a storm. That's kind of my right. <laughs> my philosophy on the deluxe <laughs> reverb reissue is like, yeah, any port in a storm. It sounds decent. It does a thing. It'll make me loud. I can play in a club and and I can absolutely get through a gig and sound great on a deluxe reverb reissue. If I'm buying an amplifier, though, that's a completely different discussion. If I'm spending totally a thousand, two thousand dollars on an amplifier for me, 
the deluxe reverb reissue is not going to be in the running in any way, shape, or form, right? And yeah, the the tone master thing is like if I was in the market for a deluxe reverb, I would buy the tone master over the tube version for the reasons. Sure. We talked about. The the only reason I got this deluxe is because I was at a swap meet thing in Nashville and I had an old older Pro Junior and a DOD 250 and a guy was like, hey, I'll trade you straight up for this deluxe reverb. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so I traded him and this thing is like, it's from 99. So it's been played. Yep. Uh, and it's, you know, it's fine. But uh, one last thing, and this is all you, but I want to know what... If you couldn't pick your backline amp, you just showed up, you know, you're like, you're late to the gig, it's there. <laughs> what would you be most horrified to see? JCM 800. An 800? Yeah. What about a 900? I feel like that's even worse. Oh, well, if you want to go real bad, a 2000. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. Like, if I rolled up on that amp, I would be like, I, I, I wouldn't know my ass from the hole in the ground with the 2000. I'd be like, what, what do I do with this? Uh, if, if you've never played a JCM 2000, it is like when I was 16, 17, I thought that's the amp I want. Uh, and I would go play them because I was like, you know, I listened to Metallica and punk rock and, you know, so I was kind of into that. But every time I'd play them, I'd be like, this just does not sound good. And, mm. I'm sure there's a good sound in there, but it would probably take too long to get it. Yeah. Man, so. when I was in music school and I was like trying to shop for my first real guitar amp and I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. And I had like done all this research online and like gone to the music stores and talked to the guys. And and I'm talking about like, this is when I had just started music school and had no so idea. what year was that? That would have been 2009 or 2010. 2010. Okay. Not that long ago. <laughs> the grand scheme of things. Um, I decided that my first amp was going to be a Mesa triple rectifier with a 412, <laughs> and that was going to be my gigging, like, do-everything amp. <laughs> no. I, I was talking to some guys at school, and one dude looked at me, who was obviously way more experienced and, and knew a lot more than I did, and was like, dude, just buy a deluxe just buy a fender that's all you need just get a deluxe <laughs> and so there we go full circle <laughs> and i ended up actually getting uh that amp right there the port city pearl which i guess you can't see in the video oh, right. but and that was that's a fantastic like if you don't know what you want you're starting out it's a clean pedal platform do everything amp you can make it with some pedals and some stuff. You can make it do whatever it wants. You can do an AC30 thing. You can do a Marshall thing. You can do a whatever. Uh, and I gigged the shit out of that amp for years, and it was super reliable. They're not that much money for the head. I think it's like 1500 bucks. Yeah. For a 50-watt head. They do a 100-watt head as well. It's got an effects loop, no reverb, no frills, three-band EQ, a bright switch. It is a killer uh, starter well, I say starter, but a killer, just reliable, clean, workable amp. They're hand wired. They're they're great. I think they're uh, they're a bit of the the undersung hero in the amp world. Right. It, it's it's interesting. I guess we could maybe end on this, like building off that. So often, I think when people are like searching for an amp, they have their budget in mind, and you kind of get blinders for, I'm just going to look at Fender or like, you know, the major brands, 
But if you kind of widen your gaze a little bit, for the same amount of money or just a little bit more, you can get like a handmade amp that will just smoke anything that comes off your production line. Yep. And you just have to be patient and, uh, you know, troll Craigslist and Facebook and all that. But, man. I, I would say 10 times out of 10, if you can, in your budget, if you can afford and find a hand-wired amp, go for that over a, a PCB amp every day of the week. Just for I, the reliability and serviceability standpoint of the amplifier, 100%. I do think there is one caveat in that you should probably play it if it's something you don't have experience with because I've played a lot of hand-wired amps that on paper you'd think, oh, this will be perfect for me, but when you actually get it under your fingers, it do, it doesn't feel right. So there is that, you know, like barrier to entry, so to speak, but you're right. If you're going to do it, usually one or $200, which is just, you know, a couple more weeks, a month of saving is right. going to get you so much further down the road and right. you're going to have it longer. So it's right. a better investment for little money. But, and you're going to get better. You're going to get more money out of it on resale. Yeah. Than a PCB app. Totally. Well, there it is, everyone. Zach, guess how, how big my, uh, my video file is here. Oh, I didn't know what you were going to say. Uh, it just crossed over <laughs> 70 gigabytes. What? Yeah, this Why? new program I'm using to record, it's recording in full uh, 4K, apparently. I didn't know that. So the whole time we're watching this, I'm like, oh, God, I'm watching this thing tick up, tick up. So <laughs> You should have stopped it. <laughs> stop. No, no, okay. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll compress it before I send it to you. Anyway, oh. everyone, if you've made it to the end of the podcast... You guys are legends. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out in the chat. Remember, if you want to join in on the discussion while we're recording, you can join our Patreon linked below or linked in the show notes, uh, $2 a month. Then you jump on Discord, find the Retshall Discord server, send me a direct message saying, hey, I'm a Dipton Tone supporter, and I will give you permission to join the voice chat. Um, we got merch on the way. Uh, yeah, so I finally connected with uh, your guy, and um, I'm going to start kind of fine-tuning some of the the ideas I have. The logo, I think, is mainly going to be for stickers. I don't know how I feel about that being on like a shirt. I think it might, mm -hmm. you know. Be a little but, busy. Yeah, it might be a little much, but I have like some really cool things that, that we've been working on, and I think it's going to be, be really great. So hopefully in a couple weeks, we'll be ready to go with that. So Yep. Um, subscribe here on the YouTube channel. Leave us a good uh, rating and review on iTunes. That helps new people find the show. That's super cool. Um, there's something else I needed to plug, but it's slipping my mind now. So, oh, I was gonna say watch the backstage live, but uh, it's already <laughs> happened. So if well, you missed you, it, watch it again. <laughs> yeah, you can you can watch the replay. You can watch yeah. replay. So awesome. Thanks everyone. We'll see y'all uh, next week. <laughs>